I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now we're going to take a little peek into the future today. When we begin to come out of this COVID stuff, or even if we have to adapt to living with it for a few years to come, I think it's fair to say that the world is going to be changed in a major way. Uh, For example, I suppose economic conditions will be, to put it at its mildest, depressed, it would seem. So we're going to have to find different ways of doing things. In that vein, one thing we touched on with a previous guest in this podcast, but to which we're now returning in some detail, is the concept of basic income. Now, this has been around for a long time among a small cohort of people who I think it's fair to say would be very much involved in uh, social policy. But in the circumstances we now appear to be finding ourselves, it has prompted a lot of others outside that type group to look seriously at this concept. One person who's been looking at the concept of basic income in some detail is UCC economics lecturer Declan Jordan. Declan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Now, Declan, just put a bit of context in the idea of basic income and why it could be useful facing into the future. I mentioned the circumstances we're going to uh, have to deal with as a result of COVID and various other factors that are going to impact on the economy. And there seems to be a body of opinion that we might be facing into what is described as a K-shaped recovery. Just to give a bit of context, Declan, what exactly is a K-shaped recovery? Yeah, so we're quite familiar with the V-shape and the U-shape, and the V-shape is a rapid return, and a U-shape takes a longer time to come back. The K-shaped recovery talks about distributional effects within that recovery. So as the economy comes back, some will do better than others, right? So, And and the K-shape has to do with one line, those who who are better off, doing better and, and, and um, their income growing faster than those who are worse off. So what we get is a widening of the dispersion. We get more inequality, greater inequality. So that the effect of COVID, uh, and I suppose the, the effect of the COVID restrictions really, is that um, it uh, increases that inequality, right? intensifies the inequality that's, that's really already there, that's really already happening, um, but it just intensifies that. So if, if we look at um, you know, how COVID is affecting um, you know, the economy or society, people within it. Uh, you know, we, we have to come away from this idea of you know, a symmetrical approach for everybody. Everybody is going to be equally affected uh, by this. I mean, even already we can see this not the case, even during the, the biggest extreme of lockdown. I mean, I'm very fortunate in my role. Um, you know, I, I retained my salary. I retained my job. I was able to quite easily work from home. Um, well, this was not easily, but it, it wasn't that onerous. Um, and then you have others then who are typically in uh, lower paid jobs. Uh, and I'm, I'm deliberately calling it lower paid rather than lower skilled, lower paid jobs who um, were not able to work remotely. Their jobs were in services, for example, uh, and that had to be done face to face. 
and they're very slowly coming back and some of them haven't come back at all. So you did get this sharp increase in, in inequality, which I think will show through when we get data for this. I think it will show through that you get the sharp increase in inequality. Uh, two colleagues of mine, uh, Justin Dorn and Frank Crowley in, in uh, in economics in UCC did a, a really good paper, really interesting paper on, on the differential impacts, not just by occupation, but also spatially, and found that, you know, there were uh, bigger impacts from COVID, uh, more bigger adverse impacts from COVID uh, on those in lower paid jobs, those who were in precarious work, um, also uh, affected younger people more than, than, than older people. So, you know, we, we can't say that this is going to be the same for everybody. And we need to we need to acknowledge that, first of all, that, you know, different people will need different supports as we go um, into recovery and, and move forward. It would seem to me that Declan, what you're describing is a scenario whereby, as you say, in, we're going to have far greater inequality. And then the question arises as to whether, in general terms, the type of economic model we've had and, you know, to a large extent, you could say, since after the Second World War and particularly since the 80s, that that model is sustainable. And then if it's not sustainable, we look at what kind of tools and what kind of differences should we be looking at in terms of sustainability, basically. There are big picture issues going on here. And I think COVID has brought a lot of it into sharp focus. But, you know, this has been evolving over time. Um, I'm reminded of this of a phrase. There was a PBS documentary and book um, back in, I think, the early 90s. The public service broadcasting station in the USA. Yes, it was called Commanding Heights. And what it talked about was this um, battle of ideas. And economics is at, is at the center of this, right? Um, where you have this battle of ideas after the war, after the Second World War, um, through the the 60s, Keynes becoming and Keynesian approaches, uh, a role for the state, um, intervention, power for unions and so on, um, having control of the commanding heights, control of the levers of power, which shifted then uh, as Margaret Thatcher took power and Ronald Reagan towards this Hayek uh, Austrian school of economics, which I suppose favored a more rationalist approach. And University of Chicago would have been one of the main drivers of it too. and, And Friedman, um, where we have more individual responsibility, where it's a case of, you know, get the state out of the market, right? let, let the market solve these problems. And, and we, we run up then to the, to, the, to the crisis of 2008, a decade ago now, right? Over a decade ago. I'm often struck when, I, when I'm talking to students and I talk about the financial crisis and I think, I got these first year students, they were, they were only about eight or nine when this happened, right? So time moves on very quickly. But this then brought Keynes back in again. You know, we weren't served by this by this uh, rationalist approach uh, of deregulation and liberalisation. Um, we get greater levels of inequality. We have markets that are unregulated. Um, so, you know, what what do we do? And I sense though that there was a backlash against that since the crisis. That you know, we we were losing. I suppose the um, we, we were forgetting a little bit about what happened. I think COVID has brought us into sharp relief again now, right? I think we have realised, or, or if you like, it's intensified this sense, and within the economics profession particularly, I think there's this sense that we need something else. We need a different way of thinking about this. Um, books like Econocracy, the work that's been done by the Core Economics Project, where students started pushing back against what they were being taught in economics. Um, 
toward a more towards a more um, I suppose interdependent view of economics, right? This idea that you know you know no man is an island, no person is an island, right? We're all interdependent. What 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 one person does impacts on another. I suppose we need to take care of each other, right? That that this isn't a case that we it's sustainable either economically, socially, environmentally, which is also the other big uh, crisis that's bringing us to start thinking new ways. Um, that 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 we need to start thinking of different ways that are going to address these challenges that are, that are trying offers. And the idea, this rational idea of you know. We just let people act as if they're going to maximize their own utility. They're going to maximize their or optimize their own their own levels of income if they're just left alone to it. Um, isn't satisfying, right? It isn't a, a good explanation of what's happening, uh, and it also isn't real, in the sense that um, when we look around, we see that you know, education is about the state being involved. Infrastructure is about the state being involved. Where's the role for the state in this? Um, and by state, I suppose that's short term for us, all of us. Um, and, and I think we see in this health, in this health crisis, that um, you know it is the case now we have to look out, look out for each other. It's it's almost it's what what was metaphorical has become literal in the health setting. Okay, and in that context, looking at how we may change tools that may go along that road and that may help towards reshaping society in some way and we come to basic income just put it this way to you Declan idiot's guide to basic income well a basic a universal basic income is how it's sometimes referred to UBI um so it's universal everybody is entitled to it everybody gets it uh, from the day they're born until the day they die uh, they receive a basic income right they receive an income uh, from the state right or we can call it from uh, society, um, which is set at such a rate that um, they're allowed to have a, a frugal, but um, I suppose dignified life. Right? So you receive an income which allows you to maintain uh, a standard of living, a, a certain standard of living. So obviously, where it's set would be important and would have to, would have to change. I suppose that's a secondary consideration after you accept the need for it. Um, so it's basic and it's an income. It's universal. It's uh, Unconditional, so it isn't. Uh, you know, you you lose you lose work, uh, and therefore you get a payment from the state as the current as the current situation is. But that you lose that if you stop looking for work, or if you're not available for work, or you reach a certain age and and you move from receiving a, a job seekers benefit to receiving a, a an old age pension. Um, it, it's it's seamless in that way. You just receive uh, this income, and and I suppose it's it's recognizing everybody's. Um, dignity right everybody's entitlement uh, everybody's right to have a certain standard of living within society is it taxable so there's different approaches to it i differ here now from um i suppose organizations like basic income ireland or social justice ireland who would say that it's not taxable that that um, the the basic income isn't taxable but everything else is taxable and it's taxed uh, in in their in their models in their in their 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 um their costs estimations of, of it uh, might look at a flat income then after that. My attitude is it should be taxable. In my view, all income should be taxable. Uh, no income should not, should not be free of tax. But the, the rate at which you begin to pay tax would be set at higher than the basic income. So if I receive a basic income, um, 
essentially all of, almost all of it, or certainly a high proportion of it, because I'm at the higher marginal rate, will be paid back to the state. Um, so, but somebody who's who's not working or on on a lower salary or who who gives up their job when they get a basic income, a basic basic income, um, would not be taxed. Uh, they wouldn't be taxed on that rate. Uh, so, I I I think it should be, um, but I think that's that's equity as well. I think all income should be taxed. Okay, just to take that in context, first of all, everyone has a universal basic income, as you say a progressive tax rate effectively that does at the higher end will pay a large proportion of it. What you're talking about there, so, is, to a large extent, a straight redistribution of wealth in society from the better off to those less well off. Yes, which we have already, right? I mean, we already do this. We already um, tax uh, people in work and tax people at higher rates. I think, um, you know, I agree with a recent article by, by Stephen Kinsella, uh, Limit that we should actually be paying a bit more in tax. Um, but uh, we do that. So we tax people in work and, and uh, um, people who are better off, and we provide um, income to those who need it, those who are on uh, disability or carers allowance or people who are, who've lost work, and even this pandemic unemployment pay- payment does that. Redistribution happens already. And I think society and any country with a well-established social welfare system would accept that, established welfare system. I think that argument is one, really. The difference on the basic income, though, Mick, is that it's unconditional, right? So, so you don't have to put guards at the, at, the, at the airport checking, have you left the country? Are you available for work? Uh, you don't have to go into uh, the false office, or what it's called now, uh, Solace now, and say, well, um, yeah, I, I want to ha- help with my CV and so on. You, you trust people, right? You say, no, you're, t- you're going to get this income, whether you're looking for work or not. It's, it's unconditional. Okay, and I suppose that does away with one bugbear, and that's this notion of social welfare fraud that I think it's fair to say can be used and has been used frequently as a political tool rather than any genuine attempt to cut out fraud. Just one other element to the the technical side of it, Declan. In terms of the likes then of, for example, uh, other social welfare supports like child benefit and various supports like that, in the model of universal basic income, would they continue? No, most would be replaced um, by this basic income. So job seekers benefit, uh, the oldish pension, child benefit, um, all of these would would end. Well, they would simply morph into a basic income, um, which somebody has and are entitled to for good, right? Uh, I mean, we we also have this anomaly. I mean, think back to the election and when it came out about, um, you know, uh, when you would get your pension, whether you get a 66 or 67, but you had to retire at 65, and what would you do in the meantime? And all these anomalies are done away with, um, with a basic income. You have a basic income, irrespective of what age you are, and it continues on. Now, what you might decide to do is you might decide to retain some payments, um, so particularly things, for example, like a disability payment or disability top up on top of basic income, because there might be additional costs that somebody might have, or you might decide that the basic income over 66 is going to be a little bit higher than the basic income less than 66. And a child may then also require less than an adult uh, would require. So it, it might not be the same rate for everybody throughout their life, but that would only be based on the different needs of what you require to live at those ages. One thing that would strike me about it, if we face into this K-shaped recovery, if you have a scenario whereby, for example the lower people at the lower paid end of the situation 
may not have work in in the traditional sense of 40 hour week 50 hour week or whatever and that the work available might be some might get two or three days uh, a week work and then you have the basic income to top up to ensure there's it works as an incentive i'm trying to say rather than a job seekers allowance yeah so so the current situation is that you know you're available for work you get work um you have to declare that and you go in and you lose some of your entitlement and so on um and and you know there is there's debate discussion about the existence of a poverty trap whether it's worth people taking a job um or and losing their benefits and it's not just job seekers benefit there's lots of uh, ancillary benefits to uh when you're out of work and when you'd lose those uh, when you go back into work i have to say i'm skeptical enough about that welfare trap i think in almost all cases um, it would want to be a special case where you'd be better off, better off not working than working. But if you have a basic income anyway, you can change the type of work that you might do, right? So, uh, you know, w- w- when pilot studies of this have have have, have been run, funnily, it, it's come up that the change in the job uh, or the hours worked as a result of receiving a basic income tends not to be, for example, the primary earner. Uh, it tends out to be the primary earner in a household who will reduce their hours worked. But there are reductions in hours worked by, for example, secondary earners. Um, you know, typically this, this, this is women um, who, have, who, or who take on caring roles, um, either for children or for uh, older relatives. Uh, or it might be people who decide, well, I want to freelance. I want to try something. Um, maybe I want to uh, I have an idea for a business. Um, and what I want to do is I want to try that, but I can't try it where, you know, I can't get any job shippers benefit because that's one thing about our system is that if you give up your job to try something and, uh, you know, set up your own business, you're not available for work, right? So you can't get job seekers benefit or job seekers allowance. Um, whereas a basic income system would say, yeah, you can, you get this, you have this anyway. Um, what you're doing with your time is up to you. So somebody can try a business, it might not succeed. Um, they're still going to have a, a way to pay the bills. They're still going to be able to live uh, a meaningful and uh, you know a, a life. A certain, they're going to have a certain standard of living, even if their business is taking a long time to work or it, it fails. So there's lots of anomalies that we have already in a system that get done away with with uh, a basic income approach. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, and 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 there's a, to a certain extent, there's. A, um... Something in, something in for everybody in the audience, as you say, the person who wants to adjust their working hours to contribute greater in, in a caring role or, or, or in the role, for example, of looking after children. Equally so, the person who wants to be an entrepreneur, they, they all can benefit from this certainly um, over the short term period. Yeah, and I, I think it comes back. I mean, I, I often start my my first lectures with, with uh, you know, first years um, by talking about economics. And I say, you know, economics or growth or development, right? What, what we do with economics is not an end in itself, right? So we, we often talk about growth, GDP growth, as if that's the end. You know, what we want to do is we want to, you know, uh, make money or, or, or be wealthy or, or have an economy that's growing at a certain rate. Um, but that's uh, partial. I, I don't, you know, economies, we don't need economies to grow just because we want bigger economies. We want economies to grow because we want people to be happy. 
Um, we want people to um, have a better standard standard of living. I suppose to have a better way of living rather than a better standard of living, right? Um, so how do we achieve that? What do we do about that? So, you know, a, a grow, if we look at growth, certain things happen, certain things fall out. So uh, work that's done, that's really important for society, but isn't part of the market, doesn't get valued, doesn't, we don't we don't care about that. We don't we don't count that, right? Um, but work that gets um, done in 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 the market, even in, in a job, even if essentially it's like David Graber called it, um, you know, a bullshit job. Um, well, that's that contributes to GDP. That's good. Now I can think of lots of jobs that don't contribute to GDP. Um, caring for people, looking after uh, after our kids, which are really important jobs. And basically, the income recognizes that, right? And what it also does is it says if people were stuck in jobs and meaningless jobs that they don't want, but they have to in order to pay the bills, and maybe they're doing it in order to pay for childcare. Well, you know, you don't have to. I think uh, Rutger Bregman, who wrote a book called Utopia for Realists, and he has a recent book out now talking about you know humankind and and how we treat each other and how we set up institutions to get the kind of behavior that we expect people to be. So if we expect to be selfish, we set up institutions that force them to be selfish. And he talked about a basic basic income as being, you know, a license to say no. It gives people the power to say no. Uh, I'm not going to do that job. I, I'm going to, you know, do something creative with my time. And that might sound to some like uh, a utopia. It might sound like, well, hang on a minute, I'm paying taxes, so this guy can go and find himself or can uh, paint uh, paintings and or can write some music and we have to unashamedly say yeah that's right you're paying so that this person can go and create music because you know what society needs music and you know what um, we're going to use this guy if this guy becomes really successful we're going to use him in the ads to draw uh, the idea Ireland are going to use him in the ads to bring in all the multinational corporations uh, into Ireland and tell them how creative we are as a society. So um, I, we, we need to have a different way of thinking about this. And we, we also, I think, need to, I think we need to be honest with each other, right, about um, what this means and, and you, know, you know, not hide behind or not be, be um, you know, behind the door and saying, yeah, look, it, this might mean people won't work. And that's okay. That's that's actually a feature, not a bug. Yeah, I mean, certainly I agree with one thing that we can do with a hell of a lot less of the bullshit jobs in the market economy and a hell of a lot more in terms of the creative arts and how they contribute. Having said that, Declan, you know there will be a powerful uh, lobby out there, a powerful, and, and people who genuinely believe it, that in such a scenario of basic income, there that you will have and you can argue about the the level of a cohort, but you will have a certain cohort that will simply look at this as a chance to be idle. Now, I don't believe in that myself, but I am certainly aware that there would be very much a large group of people out there who, who would regard it in that way. I think you're right. And, you know, there may be people who will choose to be idle. Now, we can argue then about the scale of it, how many would be. My view is there would be very, very few. I mean, Rutger Bregman talks about this, you know, what's your view of people? How do you view people? Do you view people as, you know, shirking and feckless and um, just looking for an opportunity to pull one over on you? Or do you look at people as being naturally good and naturally wanting to, to have better lives and naturally wanting to, 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 to be, have more meaningful lives, right? 
Uh, I, I would be in the latter category. I, I think people um, would see this as an opportunity, right? And, and um, you know, we can't design a system where we're going to have people who aren't going to game it. Every system is gamed. I think it's interesting, you know, that, that um, you know, when, I'm, when I discuss basic income with people, when I'm, when I'm looking at talking about, you know, webinars or, or, or seminars, we're talking about basic income. Um, a lot of the time we talk about pilot studies. You know, we've pilot, piloted mm -hmm. basic income a few times. I had problems with a lot of the pilot studies. Even the idea of a pilot study means that it's temporary. And I'm not sure that you can judge people's behavior within a pilot study where it's temporary. But um, this idea that we, we never pilot tax breaks. Right? We never pilot, you know, um, reductions in uh, social protection payments. We never pilot increasing the, so the, the old age pension age from 65 to 67. We don't pilot those. And yet we pilot um, giving uh, income to people um, in order to encourage them to maybe try something else or to, to try a new business or, or for their caring role. I mean, um, we, we do have a... a um, I think we have a problem which comes back to our political economy, to our how we have set up, um, I think, these, these, these levers of power. And it goes back to earlier this discussion about the commanding heights. I think the, the, what has grabbed our policy has been um, the view of people as self-interested. Um, and we've conflated self-interest with selfishness. So our view is people are selfish and we set up our policies to, to, to deal with the problem of selfish behavior. Um, and self-interest is not the same as selfishness. Uh, and, and in any event, I don't think selfishness motivates people. Um, self-interest may, and that's consistent with a basic income. I don't think people are motivated by selfishness. That's not to say people aren't selfish. Of course, of course there will be some who do. But it, I, I don't think you design an entire policy or, or scrap an entire policy that brings all of the benefits that I think a basic income could bring because a tiny number might um, abuse it. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with you, but I still maintain that the lobby that wouldn't out there would be pretty powerful. It's interesting, as you say, we, we design policies in terms of looking towards selfishness. That's towards those who may be selfish at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. At the upper end, uh, there's plenty of space for being selfish. And as I mentioned, the concept of basic income, notwithstanding the obstacles that may be there or may be put there on purpose, is gaining some traction. And we saw, for instance... Uh, Back in the dark ages of last February, during the general election, two of the main political parties, Fianna Fáil and the Greens, both of whom are now in government, had it in their manifestos. But it would seem that it's somewhat watered down from what they were initially promising. I think the, the specific quote, and it's actually in the piece you wrote in the Examiner on basic income from the programme from government, that the government requires the low pay commission to examine universal basic income informed by a review of previous international pilots and resulting in a universal basic income pilot in the lifetime of the government. I have to say, Declan, that strikes me as... Uh, a review looking at a pilot, looking at a reversal, etc., etc., rather than anything that might be described even in basic terms as a small leap of imagination. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you've banned the phrase on the podcast, kicking the can down the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it, it is disappointing um, that, you know, it's going to go to the low-pay commission, they're going to have reports before we ever get anywhere near a pilot. And, and, you know, this idea of a pilot as well, I, I favour evidence 
policy evidence-based policy making um i think it's you can't you can't disagree with the idea of a pilot but it it's been piloted in a lot of places now and there's something wrong with each of the pilots that we've seen so far i i'd hold out some hope for um a scottish uh, approach um so there's five councils in scotland that are looking at looking at this now and they're about to kick off on a pilot um th- th- there was a finnish pilot recently that that ended with mixed results when you're setting up a pilot or something like this a lot of it depends on the question you ask so what's the objective of the basic income and the finnish pilot for example uh, that gave payments to i think it was 2000 uh, finnish people chosen at random who were already uh, unemployed so and then it looked in terms of the outcomes it said well look a lot of these people didn't go back into the labor market um so it failed right which is a wrong i think metric the metric is were they happier and um, the other metric is what did they do what else did they do did they go back to college um did they set up their own business what you know what did they do instead of i mean were they just idle um i don't think so right i mean that's the other thing about basic income that it allows people to stay in college longer allows people to stay in education longer but um coming back to to the irish the irish situation i mean i think we should um more rapidly move towards uh adopting a, a basic income policy um rather than having commissions commissioning a pilot what about cost in that context declan is that something again politically look at the short term there would like anything new there'd be a short term cost for the benefit of the long term would it be a big cost yeah um the cost would be quite large um i mean i've seen it costed by uh basic income ireland i've seen it costed by uh Uh, Michael Collins as well uh, he's with the Nevin Research Institute um I mean you're okay so you replace a lot of the social protection budget anyway so that's about just under 20 billion um the cost of of a, of giving about 150 euros a week to everybody um is about 34 billion i think it's cost of that now that doesn't include and and i think it has to include you know the the tax uh, back on a lot of that because that's that's uh, as i said they they base it on 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 that being tax free and i don't think it should be tax free um so i but i think you're talking about um an additional i suppose 10 billion cost um on top of that which has to be funded i think from taxation now there are different ways that you can you can fund that you can increase uh, income tax um you could look at a you know thomas piketty's idea of a wealth tax we don't have a wealth tax in ireland really um when we think when we talk about a wealth tax we tax um uh, houses we tax people's people's houses but we we actually don't have a tax on wealth real wealth which is which is you know uh, uh, what people hold net of their of their borrowings um and also i think you know a, a financial a financial tax like a tobin tax um and and a really important thing which has implications in other areas for example in housing would be something like a site valuation tax um so i think there there's ways that it can be paid for relatively straightforward what what's missing isn't the ability to pay for this uh, what's missing is the political will mm. and in, in that vein finally i mean not to strike a pessimistic note but i would suggest that unless there's radical change in approach what we're looking at is a scenario whereby things will not get better in regard no thinking until such time as unfortunately they get worse and i just 
I part of me would doubt whether we have reached that level yet and whether the, 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 the as you say the political will is there to make the kind of small leap in imagination that be required for something like this yeah I'm I'm I tried I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a usual economist in the sense that I'm, I'm quite optimistic um, but it's quite difficult it's quite difficult at times to, to remain optimistic I mean what we see across Europe and in the US I'm worried about it in Ireland too is this populism um, that 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 gets hold as a result of spatial and 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 other uh, inequalities um, and and the 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 trick that's played on people where they're allowed to blame others for this inequality uh, I mean Brexit isn't going to fix inequality. It's actually going to make it worse. Um, Donald Trump isn't going to fix inequality. He's going to make it worse. Uh, and, and it's this trick that's pulled where, you, where, where we get a more, une- more unequal society um, and it's uh, exploited. I think eventually, at least I would hope, that that backlash, and it is a backlash, um, which uses a lot of the the stereotypes of economics, of, of the neoliberal economics, um, you know, stereotyping views of Smith and stereotyping those views um, to kind of, you know, appeal to people that, you know, you're working hard and they're not working hard. So yes. you shouldn't be having to pay for them not working hard. And that's the kind of tropes that are put out there to, to deal with this inequality. The optimistic side of me then says, well, look, this is a backlash. There is a, a trend of progressivism that is uh, just it's going to happen. And these are, I suppose, dips along, along that trend. Um, now, there, there are some painful dips. That's the only problem. There is. There is indeed. Declan, we'll keep an eye on things. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this develops. And we're very grateful to you for joining us today with some very interesting views on this and hopefully in a political sense we'll be able to advance it further. Declan Jordan, Senior Lecturer in Economics at Cork University Business School. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much. I'd like to thank JJ Vernon, our engineer. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us as always on iTunes, on Spotify, iCloud, all the usual platforms. You can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. Take it easy, folks. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.